Although we can't go back in time, we can reflect on our past experiences and learn from them. But wouldn't it be so amazing if we could? If you could, what would you tell yourself? This is Letters to My Younger Self. I'm Liz Gardner. Join me as we talk with some of my favorite people about their life stories and how they've learned and how we can become a little better by hearing their incredible stories. Dear Elsa of her younger motherhood age, I have relished every minute of my being a mother because I've never expected that I would be. I wish that you have physically looked into yourself and projected your life to be a far healthier self in the future. Knowing what I know now had made more of an impression, but uh, I guess when you're so busy with raising children and as much as you enjoyed them and the things that they did, I think you should always find time to take care of yourself physically because I know you dedicated a lot of your time studying and fulfilling your interests in other areas, but I think we should have a balance of everything. And I think that's the secret of a fullness in life. Today on the podcast, I have Elsa Dubois. I met her. My mother and father-in-law were serving a church mission in Nebraska. And Elsa and her husband were both missionaries in Nebraska with my in-laws. And when I first met her, she just radiated light and love and is just full of energy and just so amazing. When my mother-in-law told me her story, I really was intrigued and wanted her to be on the podcast. She recently was having kidney failure and her daughter was able to donate a kidney so that she could get a kidney in return. So today she's going to tell us about that experience and she has so much faith and love for God and love for life and I think that she is just one of the most incredible people I've ever met. She grew up in the Philippines and raised her family in Minnesota and is currently recovering from receiving a kidney in St. George, Utah. I have to apologize when we recorded this. I had a really bad cough and cold so I hope you can understand everything and that my voice doesn't deter from amazing Elsa. Elsa, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm so excited to hear about your amazing life. I loved every phase of my life, Liz. I never knew I was ever getting married because of the cultural situation in the Philippines. Things are a little bit different for me as as an individual. I never dated. I I went to an all-girls school throughout my elementary days and high school days and Went to a Catholic school all the way from first grade to college over in the Philippines. I'm not so happy with the way our culture treats women and family life is very volatile because because of that influence of how men treat women. And that is not to be an absolute observation because certainly there would be families that are ideal, but for the most part, Part fidelity is not popular. It is a 
in the Philippines, it's not very popular? No, it's a novelty because, and this is an observation, if it was a country that was uh, Spanish colonized, their machismo, which is the superiority of the male uh, over the woman. So anyway, I never thought that I would be, though when I left for my mission, I wrote on my boxes that I left at BYU Hawaii, I will come back and be married. So the desire was there. I just didn't know how it was going to happen. So growing up as a little girl, you didn't look at any examples of people being married and think that that seemed like something you wanted to do, or you just felt like you would never find somebody that would cherish you? The, the one, the second part, I never thought that I would be somebody that would be attractive enough for somebody. Um, my culture is very, prefer visually attractive women. And uh, I'm a late bloomer. I have, I'm very sure of myself, but I'm just never one that delved into uh, the physical aspect of myself. i very happy personality, always has been. But there's a lot of beautiful girls all growing up, and I didn't think that I would even stand a chance finding somebody. But my parents, my parents had a good marriage, not ideal. I had an uncle and an aunt who never had children who were like my parents, and they had an ideal marriage. There are people around me that had good marriages, but there's more that didn't. So that was for me. It's a little... That's sad that you didn't think that you were beautiful because I think you're one of the most beautiful people I've ever met, both inside and out. I remember the first time I met you, you're just, you radiate light and you are gorgeous and you're just full of life and energy and you love people. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And I have a fantastic story about that because I had, in 1997, I had a very big experience in my life. I, my husband was working for the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and I had an opportunity to, in, I was born with an underbite, a slight underbite, but they had advised me that for the rest of my life, it will only deteriorate and it will affect my health. And so Chuck being an employee, and we were uh, insured through them, they told me that I should have a jaw surgery to fix that bite. And so the topic of resurrection has become a lively one because do I resurrect with the old face or the new face? <laughs> so I have studied this and I just realized that it's neither and that it, it is an amazing thing. And the more, the more that I delve into the study of it, there's more peace and that I feel that, that there is a purpose for me to learn that principle. And I need to share that with the young people of the world because it, what we look right now is not so much important as what and who we are. I love that because I think you're right. What, no matter what our culture is, I think American culture is very focused on the outward appearance. Well, it was mine. And so I thought, that very interesting. It's not unique to America. Yeah. 
So what was it like growing up in the Philippines? I was born into a very humble family, very small, humble family. I never met my grandparents on either side. Mother was an orphan at seven and father uh, lost both his parents by the time he was 18. So it wasn't a very huge family. Both my parents, neither one finished college. And they, I remember all growing up, he would, they would always say, we would have nothing much to give you or leave to you and your brother, but for one thing that for, we will give you is an education. We were sent to the better schools in the Philippines and we were surrounded by poverty, but my parents were always hardworking people. Well, that's sweet that they gave you that gift because that's priceless, right? It is priceless. It is the gift that keeps on giving. So what brought you to the U.S.? When I was 15 years old, my, we met missionaries for the second time. And they were sister missionaries. And they taught us the gospel. And within two months, we were baptized into the church. So I was 16 and was still studying in a Catholic university, the oldest university in the Philippines. I graduated from there knowing that I want to serve a mission. So we graduate at the age of 16. And so by the time you're 20, you are already, uh, typically you would have received your bachelor's degree. I thought I finished my bachelor's degree, but I was missing three classes. I have three incompletes. And I applied and I went to BYU Hawaii with a mission in mind, but not so much school. So, but the only way that I could do it is to go attend a semester or two of school. It's hard to get into BYU. I applied and I got in. And within four months, I got my mission call. And I was one of the saddest people because I wanted to go back home to the Philippines and I didn't get that call. For those of you who are not familiar with a mission or how you get your assignment, once you decide you want to go on a mission, you fill out these papers with your local leaders of the church and then they send them to the church headquarters and the leaders of the church make an assignment and you could go anywhere in the world. I served in California, San Diego, Spanish speaking. And that's why I went to BYU Hawaii in the first place. After I got back from my mission, I stayed five, year, five months in the Philippines and decided if I should return or not. And I decided to return and I met him. So is that where you met your husband was at school? The last year of my BYU Hawaii, my senior year at BYU Hawaii. I would have decided either to go to Provo or go home to the Philippines. But he appeared in my life and I married him. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the best decision he ever made, right? It's true. But interestingly enough, so on my mission in California, we have to certify as missionaries. And we get a calling card that says certified missionary. And the mission president signs it. While I was going through my husband's missionary stuff, he had the same card. And the signature was Voris Tenney. Voris Tenney was a counselor in the mission presidency of my mission. Pres my mission. 
and he brought it to his mission in Arkansas, where Chuck served his second mission. Chuck's, uh, Chuck's health, he was a mission, his first call was to Amsterdam, Holland, Amsterdam mission. And then he, and, and about 11 months of his oh, wow. mission, he had a brain hemorrhage playing basketball. The next thing he knows, he was on a phone call with his head banging inside a toilet bowl and telling his parents that in a very slurred speech, I don't feel well. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine being the mother? No, that would be cool. That morning, she sent, she sent to school the two younger girls, 7th and 8th grade, and they didn't see her for two months. Wow. Because she had, she spent, it was touch and go. And uh, when he was getting better in Holland, they won't let him fly. So they stayed a good two and a half months before they came home to America. Wow, that's crazy. So he tried to finish his mission in Arkansas. That's why that, that story kind of went back to, <laughs> to Arkansas, where his mission president was a member of the mission presidency of mine in San Diego. Funny. That's wow. interesting to me. Yeah, that's crazy. So let's fast forward a little bit. And you guys, you and Chuck are married and you have your kids. Can you tell us what it was like raising your children in a multicultural home? It's uh, very interesting because Chuck worked so much when the kids were small. They, they thought dad was a repairman. Because he only appears every yay many days at the house. I remember there was a streak where he would come home on a Friday night and leave on a Sunday evening. Because he was fixing banks in Wyoming. We lived in Colorado. I think my influence on my children was huge. I had a majority of the time spent with them by myself even to the point where their, their eating habits uh, were uh, very diverse because of the things that I fixed them. My culture came out where it's a culture of respect for the elderly, longing for family, I guess. So I told my kids that there is nobody else that would love you as much as your family and that their loyalty to each other is very imperative. It is of utmost importance that they love each other because nobody else would love them as much. I think that's so important to teach kids, especially when they're teenagers and they feel like their friends are their most important thing in their whole life. And I mean, you have a few friends that stick around with you, but the majority you don't really stay in contact with, but your family's always there for you. Your shared stories uh, will strengthen you. My kids, to this day, repeat stories over and over again of the things that we've done when they were young. And how I don't know when that clicked, Liz. Uh, when when my children personally knew God and and the Savior. But um, I think that's the one of the most that that doc. Doctrine is one of the most important things you could ever teach your kids. And I, I don't ever want 
to get that credit, but I really wish that we that it, that the spirit was in our home, and that there was a, a deep love for for Father in heaven and and His Son Jesus Christ. I think it is so important that that's um, that you leave that. I I think our influence as mothers are invaluable. Um, very that the everyday that daily that daily relationship with God that is manifested in prayers and in pleading for little things to happen in in the savior's name very little things they become big things to them and they remember it and you start small we have this story that we tell Hayden when he was little. One day he was, I, I think he was like two. He was just barely starting to talk. He may have not even been two yet, but um, he asked me for some applesauce. And I was like, you already ate three of these pouches. You don't need any more. And he sat on the floor in the kitchen and said a prayer. He said, Heavenly Father, applesauce, amen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay fine and, here you go <laughs> lo and behold the applesauce game but it was sweet that you know at such a young age he already knew like okay if mom's not gonna give it to me i can ask god i'm absolutely isn't that sweet it is that is so sweet so I know you talked about your husband's brain aneurysm i know that he's had lots of health problems in your marriage, can you tell us what that's been like for you? Uh, so, when I he attended BYU Hawaii at the behest of his mother uh, because she wanted him to relax. There was actually a girl that he left in Provo, <laughs> and his mother said, "You need to go to BYU Hawaii, so it's it'll just take it easy." And um, I thought that would be an interesting thing to get a phone call and said, well, I met this brown girl. <laughs> <laughs> but from, that, from the moment I realized that he, such a history, his health history is so well ridden with uh, health problems, I have, I have never felt peace. I've always, I always had that little fear in, in my head and... I remember one time, very distinctly, I prayed to Heavenly Father and I said, please don't take him. I want you to take care of him, but please don't take him. And just clear as day, Liz, the answer came. It's almost like a smack on the side of the head. <laughs> and he said to me, just exactly what makes you think that he's going first. Wow. And he, it was such a clear perspective. It was such a clear perspective of how things are and how narrow mine was. Because I wasn't thinking with faith in the Lord's plan for me. It's, it's a, one of my first lessons of aligning myself with the Lord. You're such a good example of having faith and being such a positive person you're always so happy and positive how have you managed to be so happy despite 
the adversity that you've faced. I'm very grateful for being born on that other side of the world. My experience living and growing up in a third world country, I did not know or realize that until I came here. I never thought that we were poor. I think towards the high school days, I began to be more aware of there are people who has more money than you. But then all growing up, Liz, properties in the Philippines have walls like uh, adobe walls. They're like hollowed blocks or something. But on the top of the walls are cement that are covered with broken glass. And that's kind of like a deterrent for robbers, you know, to jump across into your property. But I remember standing up on a ladder that's rested on one of those walls and calling out to my friends who live in shacks. And I say, you want to come play with me? All my life, I would be going to school in a leather shoes and school uniforms. And my neighbors would be in their slippers and in their tiny, like, their ragged clothes. And they'd go to a local public school. And I would always know that my parents have worked so much harder and that we had more. But all my life, what it did to me was to be a grateful person. I just always have appreciated what my parents have provided for me. Knowing that next, just next door to me, some people are not sleeping on a bed. And I, that's what happens when you grow up in a third world country. I think your eyes are open much earlier. But, you know, that doesn't mean that there's a lot of people with grateful hearts. But gratitude, grateful people can and should never be unhappy. Yeah, I think gratitude really can make such a huge difference in our lives. And I like what you were saying, how, you know, there's going to always be somebody that has less than you and people who have more than you. And unless you learn to be grateful for what you have, you'll never be happy if you're trying to keep keeping up with the person that has more. There's never going to be enough if you can't just stop and be grateful for what you have. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I, it's interesting because it's, I have taken my children back to the Philippines. And I remember Talise, Talise spent two months, her friend died of cystic fibrosis uh, in January of 2015. And I invited her because she was having a rough time. She was there when she passed away. It was a college friend, her freshman college friend. And That's so sad. She took, she took, I took her to the Philippines for two months, transitioning, transitioning from moving to Minneapolis, from Minneapolis to Gilbert, Arizona, because she just needed a change in her life. But the boys came the last two weeks of our stay there but what an impact it is for them to see because they, they always joked about we needed to see this to see, to find the reason why you are who you are. <laughs> I like that. I'm glad that they were able to experience that because the Philippines is so much of who they are, but yeah. 
Exactly. The key for them is to always just be aware that they, oh, they have more. Yeah. And what do we do with the more? So can you tell us a little bit about how you felt when the roles were reversed and you started feeling sick? It wasn't your husband, but you were the one. I must say this. For every health challenge that I've had, I did not have fear in my heart. It's kind of an interesting thing. I did not experience many deaths in my family because, you know, they, my parents were both orphans when they got married. So I personally did not experience death in the family very much uh, or sickness. My father was sick. He smoked a lot of cigarettes when he was young, that he had emphysema. And I think he was never a healthy guy all my growing up. So when I got sick, it was just kind of like you take it in stride. I never, I, it never made me sad. It just made me be afraid that if I go, that my children would be motherless. That's probably the biggest impact. It's not so much me. It's what it will do to my children. Because when I found out I had thyroid cancer in 2003, my little guy, Drew, who is in San Antonio, was 11. And Alex was about 14. And I knew in my heart that I have to write 208 letters so that they would open one for every P-Day. Missions for boys are two years, so if you take 52 weeks times two with two boys, 208 letters, that's a lot of letters to write. That's, that's all I thought about. I think it was an opportunity for Chuck to be able to care for me, and he's always cared for me in all ways, physical needs as a family. He's always provided well for us, but he's always taken care of me. His mom... My mother-in-law was a wonderful example of motherly love for me. She's, she took care of me while well, she was alive. She died in 2005. And so anything that I had before that, I had two major surgeries before that. And Chuck, one more. So she's always there, but his family has always been supportive. I am, I am a recipient of many kind, loving angel hands, Liz. I'm very grateful. Oh. You no, know, people are so kind. You're so sweet. And I think you've been an angel in so many other people's lives as well. I've been thinking about that, and I thought, what have I done? I just, <laughs> I just people are just so good. So my question for you is, on your hardest day of you feeling sick that you might not make it for your children, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself, what would what advice would you give yourself? When the Savior was, he sent angels to his cousin, John the Baptist. He was just uh, finishing his 40-day fast. And he said, but he wasn't concerned about himself. He sent angels to minister to John the Baptist, who was in prison. You stop thinking about yourself, and you start thinking about the other people. It's, it's a lot of times it's not about you, because things kind of take care of itself. So many people, so many people give, so many people pray. 
and the least you could do is really think of what you could do, whatever possible thing you could do um, for others. I love that. And I think you've been such an example of that. Even just in the few interactions I've had with you, I feel like you're always just so loving and kind and interested in what other people are doing. And anyone who knows you, they just love you because you show them so much love and kindness. You're such a good example of that. So I'll, I'll say this, Liz. I think people should be more expressive of how they feel openly without being feeling like they will be judged. I think when we were on the mission, we said I love you to my children all the time, all growing up. But when we went out on the mission, I felt so at peace because there were the kids who would never have heard that at home, from home, all growing up. I think we're always afraid that people will judge us when we express our love for them. And we know we need to be sincere but I think we should always say how we feel. Uh, good things that we feel. <laughs> the bad. Yeah, I like that. I remember having a woman in my neighborhood growing up and she she said something like, you know, even if you're getting your groceries and you have this thought about somebody that's nice, like just tell them. Yeah. People are be sad if you say I love your hair or that's a pretty shirt or whatever it is I think you know like you were saying if you focus on that and focus on other people then you're a lot happier than if you're just sitting there through the cash register thinking this line is taking way too long and I have all these things I need to do but it really just kind of almost takes us out of our own lives and helps us to just not be so focused on our problems. I, I think that's what the Lord meant when he talks about charity. I think he meant for us to express it to other people. Yeah. Because sometimes we can't always afford to give material things, but feelings are so much greater. It's like your spirit will rad radiate the love of Christ. And it's not all about material things, really. I've always thought about that because when we were, uh, you know, when there were times that we didn't have much. I mean, even all growing up. But I think when you tell people exactly how you feel, I think they know the sincerity of it. Moved to St. George, I, well, I was still towards the last week of, my mission, of our mission in Omaha. I have felt like when did you know that you needed a kidney transplant i was still towards the last week of my mission of our mission in omaha i have felt like so exhausted so exhausted and i thought maybe it was just the towards the tail end of a mission but then it got worse that i feel like there's a wall every nine o'clock in the morning that i would feel like i'm ready to pass but i couldn't sleep and at night, I couldn't sleep. So I was just exhausted. So I came home from the mission January 3. We moved to St. George around January uh, 5, 7, some, somewhere there. Moved our stuff from Minnesota to Salt Lake. When we moved to St. George, 
nobody in St. George could take me because you have to go to a primary doctor first. I thought it was just because I don't, I have thyroid medicine adjustments. I thought it was that. I had to call Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona to take me in. And I thought maybe it was just a couple of days visit because, from St. George because if they were to adjust, adjust my thyroid medicine, they'll just call in the adjustment and everything is okay. We'll, we can go back home. But on the first day, they told me that I need to go back to the emergency room. My thyroid is fine, but I have a total renal failure. And within hours, within two hours, I was hooked up to dialysis. Oh, man, I bet that was a whirlwind. On that day, with all the hope that they could possibly muster to relate to me the hopefulness of this situation, they told me that within three months, they could probably find me a kidney. So it was very early on when I found out that there is hope, and that hope is uh, through kidney donation, and that that could happen with very soon. But then we found out that my our mission insurance expired the first of the last day of April, and we got insurance that only catered to Utah, so I couldn't even go to Mayo because my, our Utah insurance won't pay for Mayo. Oh no! So that's why, and my I have confidence with Mayo. I just um, having had a few of my surgeries there. I've always had just total faith. Anyway, so that's how I found out that uh, I needed a new kidney. It was from the moment of diagnosis. That's it's just a major way of explaining and educating patients. They're very hopeful. They're very they love to teach patients. So I found out very soon. So what's the process like to receive a kidney? So to receive a kidney, there's two ways. You can receive a kidney given by a deceased person, but that could take up to five years. You're at the mercy of somebody passing away in an accident or, you know, they have to be, they don't have to be healthy kidneys. My, my surgical, my transplant surgeon said, I can fix hepatitis B, I can fix gonorrhea, syphilis of a dead person's kidney, but I can't give you a kidney from the air, you know? So he would take a dead kidney, fix what's wrong with it when after they have put the kidney in you because having a kidney is so important. So you can receive it from a dead person and or you could receive it from a donor. The donor could be somebody from your family who matches you, or it could be in a pair exchange, which is what Talisa and I participated in. Talisa and I did not match, so we became a part of a chain where people's donors do not match each other, but they will find a kidney that matches you and they will make it work out so that everybody that needs a kidney in a chain will receive one. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So for those that don't know you, Talise is your daughter. So how did you feel when she was willing to 
give up her kidney so that you could have a kidney? That was never a question in her heart. My children, all three of them, wanted to give me their kidney. Chuck wanted to give me his kidney. My brothers and sisters, my brother and sisters-in-law all wanted to give me a kidney. Wow. We taught this lady. She wanted to give me her kidney. Can you believe it? Wow, that makes me emotional just thinking about all those people who are willing to give their kidney for you. People really are so incredible. Chuck and I were just, oh, our hearts were so full. But then it came down to, I think they tried to get a donor from your family. So ruled out, they ruled out people who were not a match blood type. Uh-huh. So all my three children were the same blood, blood type as myself. Uh, Andrew was disqualified because he has ulcerative colitis. It's an autoimmune where it is a cousin disease to Crohn's. Your autoimmune system attacks your own system. Okay. So Crohn's disease attacks a particular part of your large intestine. Ulcerative colitis attacks the last end of your large intestines that causes you to bleed, like you scratch your knee. I see. And you lose a lot of blood in your stool. But Drew was disqualified. Alex just finished his marathon, qualified him for the Boston Marathon this April. And both of them have babies. So I did not want them. When Talise said that she wants to give me her kidney, I said, it really is very hard for me, Liz, because, because... they're my children. I want them to be whole. And I, I kind of wanted my kidney to come from other people more than each other because I wanted them to be safe. I wanted them to have two. Yeah. Talise said, and then Talise found out that she's not a match. So she said to me, I'll get you a kidney, mama. You've given your whole life to your kids and you've always been serving them. And so I'm sure it was hard for you to be the recipient of such a loving act. I want them to be safe. But uh, they said that if it was the other way around, you would hesitate doing it to your mother. She she said to me, I will be really upset, Mom, if you take it from somebody else and not me. And so we, so we did it, and she ended up giving it to somebody, and and I getting it from somebody else. Did you do you know who you received it from? No. She kind of knows where hers went. I don't know if the doctor was kidding, but he said to Talise to Talise that she has a beautiful kidney, and he thinks it's going to Beverly Hills in California. <laughs> <laughs> But she took a picture of her kidney. Oh wow! I thought, I thought it was the way it, they received it in California. But I think somebody told us it's the picture as he was sending it out. I see. Yeah, the Lord is an amazing God, Liz. Can you imagine? Why did He give us two, so we can serve? I don't know. I. It's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. Our bodies are amazing. Tell us a 
a little bit more about your relationship with your daughter. This has always been my teacher. She, when I cut a mat that was supposed to be oval, but I cut it rectangular, and she, and she said, don't worry, Mama, I'll pray for it. I'll make sure that it becomes the right shape. And it's, <laughs> she was about, she was about seven years old. They've always taught me things like Hayden, you know, who prays for applesauce? That <laughs> was young. Yeah. She's always had the kindest heart. I got to meet her the other day and you could just tell that she's so kind. And she was saying, just give me two weeks. She just had the transplant done. She can't drive. She can't, you know, she's in pretty bad shape. And she's like, just give me a couple weeks. I can bring you a meal. And I'm like, you do not need to bring us a meal. But she kept saying like, what can I do to help you? I'm like, you just had a major surgery. Let's just focus on you for a minute. But you can tell that she's just a very kind, loving person. So could you tell us a little bit about how you felt before the transplant and then how you felt after you received the kidney? Um, so for the most part, you you become aware that you, uh, you have problems with your kidneys. So one of the ways that they sustain you is to have a dialysis. So because your kidney had failed, your kidney has no more power to clean your body or create a hormone. So I learned all these things. I had no idea. Kidney was not a problem in my family. So this is all a shock. Yeah. So part of the reason why I was so tired and exhausted was because the kidney has now failed to clean the toxins from my blood. So then it necessitates that I do dialysis. And that's the purpose of dialysis is to wash out all the toxins, the potassium, uh, that your kidney used to discard. Um, now dialysis does that. So I must say that I, I have felt the, the first three months, it was an adjustment period because they said that every dialysis sessions, which mine was three and a half hours, three times a week, is like running a marathon. That one session of three and a half hours is like running half marathons. Yeah, because your heart, your wow. blood flows through your body that much. So that's how your body um, reacts to activity, like if you're running uh, running a half marathon. But anyway, it also your kidney is also in charge of creating a hormone that sends signals to your bone marrow to create red blood cells. Now that the kidney has failed, you become then very low in your hemoglobin because you are not getting sending messages. So they artificially give you hormone to tell your to send messages to your bone marrow to create red blood cells. For the most part, after the first three months, my dialysis had become commonplace. It's, I go there, I go there, I get hooked up, and then I go home. I drive myself sometimes. But then 
of course, since January 14 of this year, I was my last dialysis and my new kidney has been oh so good. It had uh, functioned from the moment it was surgically attached to me. It was it was delayed. I missed the plane. So I was supposed to have surgery at 5.30 and it didn't get there to like uh, 9 o'clock at night. I didn't get into surgery to like 11. And that little kidney, it's not little, but it started working the moment it got attached to me. It was on ice for a long time. Like it was detached from the source of life for at least seven hours. That's amazing that that organs could do that. You know, you you just sit and think this little organ can function being taken out of someone's body and you can stick it into another person's body and that immediately it starts working. It's just like unbelievable. Is that an appliance? Yeah. There's no sockets. There's no charging. There's no batteries. This is the Lord. I am just in awe. It's been great. Like I, I have to go to labs Mondays and Thursdays for them to monitor my body, my kidney function of all those minerals and stuff that I have in my body. If it's doing the, its job, if it's cleaning my blood, and it has been such a wonderful kidney. My heart to that person that gave me this, you know, and Talise. So Talise was, she was crying, and I think it made her very emotional. She was, it's not an appendectomy. I gave my kidney so somebody could live a normal life. And she's, you know, some people have told her, she's like, wow, I had one appendectomy, and I felt just fine. <laughs> and she was like, I gave it for somebody to have a good lease on his life. Oh. And she said, I want somebody to have a better life. And if it wasn't you, mom, somebody, I hope, I pray that somebody's life is better. And she had a very healthy kidney. She tried so hard to qualify for this transplant. But if Talise wouldn't have donated her kidney, you wouldn't have received your kidney quite as quickly. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. That's the way it works. So essentially her donating her kidney saved your life, even though it wasn't placed in your body. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of compare to sanctification list. Like, like when we pray for people, it's not so much that we are serving that person, but what praying does for us when we establish a relationship with the Lord, with our Father in heaven. That in the process of pleading and asking for somebody's behalf, you then become to try to be worthy of that blessing so that your prayers will be answered. Then something that is gifted to you as you ask for somebody else. So I feel and I pray that as Talise gave me her kidney, that her heart was changed, you know, that her heart was sanctified. It's a, it's a personal journey, and you'd like to think that you are giving to others, but yes, she did give to me, 
and to that new person that got her kidney. But I think her heart is so much closer to the to Father in Heaven and, and to the Savior because she had served them, served every, somebody else. And the thing is, you can't help other people without helping yourself. And, you know, as you put others first and you seek to love them and serve them, then God kind of heals your own heart and the broken part of you. And Absolutely. It's interesting to think that if God wanted to, he could just make everything happen the way that he wants to, but he uses us and heals us in the process of helping each other. Yes. Yes, it's the most beautiful concept. And I learn that every time I am such, oh, people have been so kind to me. But I pray that they understand that as they are kind to me and as they were praying and begging and, and pleading in my behalf, that they have drawn themselves so close and have enjoyed the spirit in their lives. I just, I hope that people recognize that. And I I am not trying to say that every single prayer said in our behalf. Oh my gosh. The only sure time that this transplant was going to happen was not till that scalpel touches my skin. There were a hundred things that could go wrong. There were seven transplant centers that were involved in our surgery, Talise and mine. And if somebody got sick, it cancels out the whole, the whole chain. So everything had to perfectly align. Yes, everybody needs to be healthy to the moment that they are being cut or else, or that kidney better not have crashed or been in a car accident. Everything needs to be aligned. It is the most fascinating thing. To the moment that I got to the hospital, I think Chuck had the sniffles, and I just thought, I know for a fact that the Lord has kind of guarded me from every possible little sickness. Because if you have a cold, they won't go through it. Wow. It is one of those miracles, tender mercies for every single one of the people in that chain involved. It was an amazing miracle. That's really neat. So before we started the interview, you were kind of telling me that you don't really have any regrets in your life. And I think that's really admirable. But if you could go back in time to any stage of life and just give yourself advice, what would you say? I did identify that I think you you could think of other people, but you really cannot give from an empty hand. You have to be on higher ground to lift somebody else. Yeah, it's kind of like the you have to have an oxygen mask on before you're able to help others on the plane, right? I think that I mentioned that had I got if I were to give myself an advice is I need to have been more aware of my health, take care of myself, and that doesn't necessarily mean the visuals, you know, like so that you are more able to serve other people. So like if I'm sick right now, I can't serve. We came home with the thought that we will be applying for a mission immediately. But uh, Chuck and I can't do that if I'm sick. So I think looking back as a young mother, 
yeah. that I should be able to, that we should be more, both Chuck and I, you know, you'd like to think that because of our experiences that we, we would, but we, that's something that I would advise is just make sure that there's a balance in your life, that you try to take care of all aspects. Yeah. Doing the little things to help yourself will ultimately come full circle and help you to be your best self. Yeah, well, to give more. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure to talk with you. And I'm hoping that we can also hear from your daughter, Talise, and hear her perspective from the, the transplant. I wish that there would be more exposure, that people would be more aware of opportunities to save others um, through organ donation. I have not been very aware of it. I, I am grateful that I am a recipient of somebody's generosity. I guess it's important for all of us when we get our driver's license to mark the organ donor. Organ donor, yeah. And you never know what it can do for someone else, right? Yeah. I I have to just insert this little story. When we were at the Mayo Clinic about 15, 17, no, 25 years ago, they there was a man. He had diabetes so bad that he had to carry a pouch of insulin. And they performed an experimentation of planting part of his liver into his pancreas to make it think that it is a pancreas, healthy pancreatic cells, and it cured his diabetes. Wow. Do you, does, do we understand what marvelous thing that means? So the star of Bethlehem was created millions of years ago so that it could shine properly on the time that the Savior was born. Nothing is by chance. Nothing is by coincidence. Everything that we are was planned by a very loving Father in heaven. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your faith and your light and your goodness. And I'm just grateful for you. Oh, thank you, Liz. You are an angel. Thanks for listening to another episode of Letters to My Younger Self. I was so amazed with Elsa. She's just so full of light and she is so positive. And I love how she said nothing is by chance and how she talked about how we can be grateful in any circumstances. And I've seen that so much in my life. If you have anyone that you would like to hear on the podcast, please reach out to me. I would love to interview them or get to know them and share their story. And thanks again for supporting me in this endeavor.